In John 2, Jesus goes to a wedding. If I can get this um, mic off of me. I thought I could carry it, and I can't. There it is. In John 2, Jesus goes to a wedding. He's in Galilee, which is where he grew up, right? And so he goes to a wedding. When he's at this wedding, if you've ever watched The Chosen, have y'all watched that on YouTube? Awesome series. I had an opportunity, of course, this week to watch all of it. But um, but anyway, awesome. But they kind of walk through the story. Kind of, You can see it visually. I don't know how accurate it is, but it looked good to me. Um, and anyway, so Jesus goes to this wedding. His mother's there. His disciples are there with him. They're having a fun, all this other stuff, and the wine runs out. Okay? When the wine runs out, Jesus' mother, knowing who Jesus is, and he hasn't revealed it to anybody, goes to Jesus and he says, and she says, Jesus, this is your moment, right? Water to wine, this is all you. And Jesus says, if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. And his mom says, I don't care what hour it is. I'm telling you, you're turning water into wine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I wish we could, I wish we had an account of what Mary looked at him in that moment like. You know what I'm saying? Because it had to be, at least if it's my mom, you know, and I was in church doing something I shouldn't have been doing or whatever, it's that like, like, you're going to stop. Like that type of thing. Mary had to look at Jesus, the son of God. Jesus, listen, this ain't a time for a message. I'm telling you right now, water is getting turned into wine, you know? And um, so Jesus listens, turns water into wine. And, uh, and they see this, they're all, you know, at least the ones that know what just happened, the host, um, or the servers, excuse me, they're all like, this is amazing. We didn't have anything, and now all of a sudden all this water is turned into the best wine. You know, and there's all these different connections. Well, then Jesus, he goes in the temple, he flings tables, he's, you know, doing all that other stuff. And I, I want to, this is where I want to read, I want to read this. <clears throat> John 2, verse 23. So this is the the, um, chronological order of this stuff, okay? So he's in Galilee, he's at a wedding, and he performs this amazing miracle, right? Water and wine in Galilee, where he grew up. Two Jews, by the way. Okay, verse 23 in John 2. Listen to this. While Jesus was at the Passover feast... So he's at the Passover feast at this point, obviously. The number of his followers began to grow, okay? And many gave their allegiance to him. Why? Listen to this. Because, excuse me, because of all the miraculous signs they had seen him doing. Okay? While he was there, his number of followers began to grow. Why? Because they saw all the miraculous signs that he had been doing. But listen, hear this right here. Verse 24. This is two Jews it's referring to. But Jesus did not yet, and this is what I'm talking about today. He did not yet entrust himself to them because he knew how fickle human hearts can be. He didn't need anyone to tell him about human nature for he fully understood what man was capable of doing. So he, he's in Galilee. At this point, he goes for, uh, to celebrate the Passover feast in the temple. His number, of, his number of followers grow because they're seeing this man do unbelievable miracles. If I walked outside today and called down fire from heaven, or let's say everybody in the city of Columbia that has COVID, 
came to our church and every one of them were healed. You know how many people will be here next week? The whole city. Okay? So Jesus' numbers are exploding because they're seeing this guy, I mean, this, you know, people with leprosy, that everybody's like, stay away. Well, Jesus is like, no, come on, come on, come on. He's hugging them. They're getting healed. I mean, just all this stuff they never see, they're seeing. And so the number of followers that he has keeps growing. But Jesus, to these Jews, did not yet entrust himself to them because he knew how fickle human hearts can be. Then you go into chapter 3, because like I've talked before, the, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers in your Bible aren't divine. Like John wasn't writing this saying, okay, chapter 3, you know, it's, it was one scroll. So this is all one story, okay? You go to John 3, this is where he meets with Nicodemus, this prominent religious leader. He meets with Nicodemus. Nicodemus has heard everything that Jesus has done. He's seen all this stuff, and he's like, man, i got to meet this man for myself. He goes and meets Jesus. And this is what Jesus, now remember what I just said. He would not entrust himself to them because, who? His followers. Because he knew how fickle human hearts can be. Human hearts can be. In uh, John 3, verse 5, listen to what Jesus tells Nicodemus. He says, I speak an eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and of spirit, or the Passion Translation, spirit wind, you will never enter God's kingdom realm. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural, but the spiritual realm gives birth to supernatural life. You must be born again. So he leaves not entrusting himself to Jews, goes and meets Nicodemus and says, unless you are born again, you'll never enter the kingdom that I came to bring. He's, that's, that's entrusting himself to them by allowing them to enter into the kingdom that he showed up to bring Anyone who enters this kingdom has been given access because Jesus entrusted himself to them as they have entrusted themselves to him. This covenant, this intimacy, okay? So he gives that. Unless you are born of water and of spirit wind, you can never or you will never enter God's kingdom realm. Nicodemus is blown away. He doesn't understand, but this is amazing. All this other great stuff. Now, Jump ahead to 4. John 4. And I'm just going to read this. So y'all just hang in. Very familiar. Up till this point, up till this point, everyone who followed Jesus, with the exception possibly of the disciples, possibly, everyone followed him because what they saw him do. Okay? This is John 4. Soon the news reached the Jewish religious leaders known as the Pharisees that Jesus was drawing greater crowds of followers coming to be baptized than John. Although Jesus didn't baptize, but had his disciples baptize the people. Jesus heard what was being said and abruptly left Judea and returned to the province of Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaritan territory. Samaritans are not Jews, are not full 
full-blooded Jews. Jews didn't want to talk to Samaritans. They didn't want nothing to do with them. Okay? So, just, just track with me. I'm going I'm to do a lot of repeating because I really want you to see what's, what, what we're about to see. Jews, the ones Jesus came for first, are starting to follow Jesus because he's doing all this crazy stuff they had never seen. He then makes an announcement to Nicodemus that he's looking for the ones who are willing to be born again. He wouldn't entrust his heart to the ones that saw this cool stuff and stopped there. He came to entrust his heart to those who were willing to submit to the process of rebirth. Then he goes to four. And they're all, man, you see all those crowds? Man, Jesus, he's got a big ministry. Boy, he's, he is exploding. That's a cool dude. Somebody gave him some Nikes. No. So, so his, his ministry, and Jesus hears Jesus hears that people are talking about his crowd size and immediately leaves. He said, I didn't come here for crowds. Right? And he has to pass through Samaritan territory. A Jew would not be doing this. Listen to what happens. Verse 5. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph long ago. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. Man, there's so much right here, but I'm going to try to power through. He sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon, so he sends them away. And he's alone. He just left all these crowds everybody's buzzing about. He leaves there, and he's alone with a Samaritan woman. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink of water. How many of you know he didn't really want water? Give me a drink of water. Surprised, she said, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? And Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am, And the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink. And I would give you living water. Do you hear what Jesus is doing? What's he starting to do right here? He's starting to entrust himself to someone. Not a Jew. A Samaritan woman who had no idea who this man was. The woman replied, verse 11. But, sir, you don't even have a bucket, and this well is very deep. So where do you find this living water? Do you really think, listen to this, do you really think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself along with his children and livestock? This woman has no idea who this is. Do you think you're better than Jacob? I mean, Jesus got to be chuckling. Verse 13, Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. I've taught on this before. 
it's real interesting to note too, he doesn't call this Israel's well, which is Jacob's name that got changed. This is, he calls it Jacob's well. Okay? Who was Jacob? The pretender. If you drink from the pretender's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. Just just for fun. If you drink from the pretender's well, you'll be thirsty. But if you drink from the real things well, you'll be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. Now listen to this, listen to this. The woman replied, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. She, she still thinks he's talking about water. I, if I don't have to come back here, let me drink it. Verse 16, Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said. For you've been married five times, and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. The woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the right place where we worship, which is right? Jesus responded, believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. I, I can't I, I don't even know if I can explain this in a way that it it will hit you like it's hitting me. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan. And if you don't I mean you can go home and look this up if you want to do deeper study. Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. And even worse, Samaritan women. So so this is like Jesus is going to the lowest of the low, if you will. In, in, his, in his personal culture. Now to him, he didn't see it like that. But he's going to them. And, and she asks, where's the right place to worship? He says, your people don't really know the one they worship. Who's the one they worship? Him. So he's standing in front of her, fully God, yet fully man. And he's trying to give her what he has. He's trying to entrust himself to her. Your people don't know who they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. From the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be, listen to this, will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. Now, what did I say in chapter 2? He wouldn't entrust himself to them, to the Jews, that were following him because of what they saw, because he knew how fickle the human heart was. 
the human heart was. Then in chapter 3, he talks to Nicodemus about a new birth, which would provide a new heart born of the Spirit. Right? And then he goes to the woman at the well, the Samaritan, and he makes this statement. From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. Worshiping the Father will be a matter not of if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile or if you're whatever. Worshiping the Father will be a matter of if you have submitted to the process of a heart exchange. Now listen to this. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. The woman says, this, is my fa- this might be my favorite part of the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation. She says this. The woman said, this is all so confusing. But I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. I mean, just to make it exciting, I am the one you're looking for. And immediately her mind would have went, Moses, well, if the Israelites ask, who sent me? What do I tell them? You tell them, I am sent you. You don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. And at that moment, the disciples returned and were stunned that, to see that Jesus was speaking with a Samaritan woman. Yet none of them dared ask, good idea, him why or what they discussed or were discussing. All at once, verse 28, all at once, the woman dropped her water jar ran off to her village and told everyone, come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. This wasn't good stuff. He could be the anointed one we've been waiting for. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go see Jesus. Now, now I'm going to finish up the chapter. So Jesus, this is the first point the first point that Jesus unveils his identity fully. I am the one you're looking for. You don't have to wait for the anointed one any longer. I am the anointed one. And he unveils it to a Samaritan woman who, by the way, had never seen a miracle that he had done. He entrusts his heart to her Because she wasn't about to follow him based on what she saw. She was about to follow him. And the entire city, as I'm about to read, was about to follow him because of who he was. He wanted to entrust his heart to a group of people who were willing to say, no matter what I see, I believe in you and I follow you because of who you are. That's who he wanted to entrust his heart with. He's looking for that group of people that says, what I see doesn't change what I know. 
what I know is solidified by the fact that you are who you say you are. You're the bread of life. You're the living water. You're the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father but through you. You are the anointed one. And because you're the anointed one, whether or not I see whatever I want to see, I'm following you. Then Jesus begins to teach the disciples something. Listen to this. The disciples begin to insist that Jesus eat some of the food that they brought back from the village, saying, Teacher, you must eat something. But Jesus told them, Don't worry about me. I have eaten a meal. You don't know about it. Puzzled by this, the disciples begin to discuss among themselves, Did someone already bring him food? Where did he get this meal? Then Jesus spoke up and said, My food is doing the will of him who sent me and bring it to completion. As the crowds emerge from the village, why are they coming to Jesus? Because the woman, the Samaritan woman, ran back to the village and said, Come see a man who knew about all the men I had been sleeping with. He could be the anointed one. Now, she's going back to a village who would have mostly disowned her because they all knew what she was doing. Okay? So she's coming back. They're seeing this promiscuous woman running through the streets saying, I think I have found the Messiah. And they all say, if she can be transformed, let's go check this out. And they all come streaming to Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, Why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming. Now is harvest time. Now he's starting to entrust himself to an entire city. Now is harvest time. For their hearts are like that their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain ready for a spiritual harvest. Y'all, I mean, do y'all hear this? Maybe it's just me. And everyone who reaps these souls for eternal life will receive a reward. And those who plant spiritual seeds and those who reap the harvest will celebrate together with great joy. And this confirms the saying, one sows the, uh, the seed and another reaps the harvest. I have sent you out to fields that you haven't planted where many others have labored long and hard before you, and now you are privileged to profit from their labors and reap the harvest. So there were many, many from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus. Why? Why did they in John 2 follow him? Somebody. Because of what they saw, which is unbelievable stuff. I mean, of course. But listen to what it says. There were many of the Samaritan from the Samaritan village who became believers in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. What was her testimony? He told me everything I ever did. How many people are coming to church saying, that church right there brought all my sin out? Y'all, y'all need to come here. You know, no, I mean... You know, man, Josh preached a message. I'll tell you what. I've been sleeping around. Nobody knew about it. Now everybody knows. Isn't this awesome? You know, I mean, you should come get all your stuff out in the open too. No, no. This woman, 
Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Can you imagine the freedom in her that she had been trying to hide all this stuff? Because remember, what does Jesus say? He says, go get your husband. And what does she say? I'm not married. Here's what she was saying. Oh, yeah, I'm not married. She's hiding, right? Because as soon as he said, go get your husband, it hit her. This guy knows a little bit. I mean, I'm not married. What are you talking about? I'm not worried. Lord, what are you talking about? I don't struggle with giving. What are you? Lord, no, not me. I don't don't struggle with lust. That's not me. Right? And he says, yeah, you're right. But I know about all six of the men that you're not married to. And Jesus becomes the seventh that she is married to. Ready? Okay. Okay. They begged Jesus to stay with them, so he stayed there for two days, resulting in many more coming to faith in him because of what? His teachings. Then the Samaritan said to the woman, we no, listen, we no longer believe just because of what you have told us. But now we've heard him for ourselves, and we are convinced that he really is the true Savior of the world. Man, I'm about to run down Main Street right now. Verse 43. I'd run out of breath very quickly. Verse 43. On the third day, on the third day, Jesus left there. Now, that's what happened in in the Samaritan village. He's going back to Galilee now, back to the the boys, back to the Jews. Listen to this. On the third day, Jesus left there and walked to the province of Galilee where he was raised, where he grew up. Now, Jesus knew that prophets are honored everywhere except in their hometown. Even so, as Jesus arrived in the province of Galilee, he was welcomed by the people with open arms. Right? Who were these people? The ones who saw all the miracles, water into wine, stuff spreading everywhere. They see all the miracles, and Jesus comes back, and they're like, yes. That man over there has got leprosy. That man over there can't walk. That man over there, you know, it's just like, man, praise the Lord, Jesus is back. They welcomed him with open arms. Many of them had been in Jerusalem during the Passover festival and witnessed firsthand the miracles he performed. Jesus entered the village of Cana of Galilee where he had transformed the water into wine. And there was a governmental official uh, in Capernaum who had a son who was very sick and dying. When he heard that Jesus had left Judea and was staying in Cana of Galilee, he decided to make the journey to Cana. When he found Jesus, he begged him, you must come with me to Capernaum to heal my son. Now, listen to what Jesus says to this group of people. So Jesus said to him, you never believe unless you see signs and wonders. Stop. How many signs and wonders did the Samaritan see? Zero. How many signs and wonders did this group of people see? Tons. By the way, this was the group of people that put him on the cross. 
You never believe unless you see signs and wonders. But the man continued to plead, you have to come with me to Capernaum before my little boy dies. Jesus looked him in the eyes and said, go back now. I promise you, your son will live and not die. The man believed in his heart the words of Jesus and sent off for home. What was he, I mean, what was Jesus doing here? He didn't go with the man. He said, you're going to see that miracle based on your decision to trust that I am who I say I am. So the man believed in his heart the words of Jesus and set off for home. When he was still a distance from Capernaum, his servants met him on the road and told him the good news. Your son is healed. He's alive. Alive. Overjoyed, the father asked his servants, when did my son begin to recover? Yesterday, they said, at one in the afternoon, all at once his fever broke and now he's well. And the father realized that it was the very same hour that Jesus spoke the words to him, your son will live and not die. So from that day forward, the man and all of his family and servants believed. This was Jesus' second extraordinary miracle in Galilee after coming from Judea. Okay, now, this hit me. I was reading this this week, and um, just because I was like, well, if I can't read through the whole Bible, I'm just going to at least read through John. just felt like that's what I needed to do. So I, I, so I read this earlier this week, and this stuff did not hit me. Last night, I went to get us dinner, and on the way home, I started just, this is what I do. I just start thinking, if, especially if I'm by myself. It's just, you know. And I start thinking about this story, and it hit me that the group of people who got to see who Jesus was completely unveiled before everybody else was the group of people who didn't see him do one thing. And yet believed. The group of people who eventually, like I said, hung him on the cross. But were excited to see him and excited he was back. Was the group of people that Jesus says, you never believe unless you see. Now here's the problem right now. There's a lot of people leaving the church as a whole. Because they're not seeing. In 2020... 2020 was the year where if anything was taken from the church, in my opinion, it was primarily signs and wonders. I'm just being straight up. If any, we were seeing stuff like crazy before 2020 in the church as a whole, not just us. And then we go into this year, 2020, and it's like, where are the miracles? We prayed over and over and over and over and over and over. And it seems like this fire is getting worse. Every time we pray, it seems like it's getting worse. You know, just, and we, we start going, and it seems like signs and wonders and experiences and all that stuff was taken away. And I believe now on the other side of it that the Lord was removing what we see to see if what we believe is based on who he is, not what we see. I, I think we went through this year, and here's where we ended. We went into 2021 with a lot less Christians in America. A lot less. I Got to be real careful. I think maybe we just got a more accurate count. Okay? But with a lot less... And you know why? We're not seeing it. We thought this person would win an election, and we, man, we didn't see it. 
And we thought this person would be healed, and they weren't. And we thought this person and the prophetic word that they received was right, and it wasn't. And, and we're just walking, and people are just, just dropping like flies because their whole belief system, and maybe people in this room, and this is some of me, belief system was built on this is what I've seen, therefore I believe. That relationship does not last. Not because we stop seeing things, but because that's not a relationship. That's the equivalent of people, and I'm just going to be like, I'm trying not to be graphic or anything. That's the equivalent to people who just go around and sleep with random people. Surface level. Surface level. You don't know anything about them. All you know is what you see. And what you see is appealing, so therefore you just jump right in. It seems right. It looks right. That's not a relationship. That ruins your life. So what he's looking for is a group of people who will say yes to who he is, and then that group of people is actually who he wants to unleash signs and wonders on a scale we've never even dreamed because our belief system is not based on this is what I've seen. Our belief system is based on in the secret place I found his feet, and that is enough. Is this loud? You can turn it down a little bit if you want to. <laughs> I'll talk a little louder than Ellington. But are, are y'all with me? I mean, th- this, is, this is what he's saying. Jesus, why did Jesus choose the people that he chose to follow him? The disciples. It wasn't because they were qualified. They were not qualified. Why would he choose a tax collector to follow him? To be one of the twelve? They followed him. He chose them because he knew that they were the ones that when the going got tough and he was headed up a hill to be crucified, they were the ones that three days later would believe that the man walking in the room was the one that was crucified three days ago because we know that we know that we know that we know that when he said, I came from above, he actually came from above. They were the ones that when he said, stay here, I'm going back to my father, but I'm going to send you a gift. They were the 120 that were in an upper room and day in and day out and day in and day out. Ironically, you know how many days? Ten. For ten days, they were in an upper room and they refused to leave until they received. He chose those to follow him. He chose those to entrust his heart to. The first person in all of scripture in the New Testament to win an entire city for the Lord was who? The Samaritan woman. Wasn't even a Jew. Wasn't even a full-blooded Jew that saw all this. She was the woman that was at a well and said, if you'll give me a drink of what you got, That would be unbelievable. And he says, go get your husband. I believe what we have been in is Jesus saying, and you can fill in the blank for whatever this is, go get your husband. For me, this past 10 days, that's what this was. Jesus, I'm going, Jesus, I I want a drink of what you got. Go get your worry. You know, ma'am, 
Jesus, I, I want a revival. I want our church. Go get your anxiety. Go get what that person said about you. Go get your doubt. I mean, go, go get how you see yourself. Let me say it like this. Jesus, I, I, I want you to just baptize me in a measure of the Holy Spirit I've never seen before. Awesome. Go get the real you and bring him here. And for 10 days, 10 in Scripture being the number of order, by the way, for 10 days, I sit with the real me. As ugly <laughs> as that was, for 10 days, I sit with the real me. But I can tell you on the other side of it, I've never been more convinced that he is who he says he is. Why am I talking about all this stuff? Because we have an opportunity right now to see this for what it is. To see this season for what it is. People have been um, focused, and if this is you, this is why I didn't want to live stream this today. But people have been focused on uh, politics. People have been focused on, um, a lot in the charismatic church, whether or not they can catch COVID. People have been focused on uh, why, if, if my pastor closes church, I'll never go back to that church. You know, focused on, we've been focused on so many different things that the one thing that connects all of those is what you see. If my pastor says one thing about this, I'm not going. If my pastor makes this decision, not just us, uh, churches as a whole, this, you know, it's like if, if this happens, we're not. If this happens, and what the Lord is calling us into in this season is a level of unity I don't know if the South has ever seen. I mean, since the beginning of the year, all we've been talking about is how do we unify this thing? And I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about the church in Columbia. How do we have different beliefs about different doctrinal stances on different things, but all believe in Jesus and still be united. How do we do that? We've never seen that before. But we're having these conversations, and I believe what the Lord is doing is he's sending us still, and I said this that Tuesday night, the last Tuesday night we were together. I said this, I think the Lord is willing to let this go as long as it takes for us to sit down and learn. I do. I, don't, I mean, I know people won't like that. I think the Lord is willing to let this go years if that's what it takes for the church to be the church again. I really do. But I think the point when we realize that what he's actually calling us into is authentic intimacy with him that is solely based on him being him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, full of kindness, full of love, full of grace, full of mercy, who delights in showing mercy, who sees us as the treasure in the field he's willing to trade everything to buy the field for. If we can start to see these things correctly, who we are, who he is, if we trust him, all this other stuff, we will see signs and wonders. 
leaders. We will not, and I, I speak this over us and every other church that would ever see this, we should not see signs and wonders until we get what we believe right. I hope we don't. I, 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 hope, I hope the Lord lets us get to the place where we have to make the decision whether or not we trust him before he unveils the measure of his spirit. He actually wants to unveil. He's dying to. He's dying to pour out not just what he poured out in Acts 2. He's dying to pour out a measure that would blow Acts 2 away. He's dying for it. But he loves us way too much to pour that out on a group of people who haven't become a new wineskin yet. He loves us way too much to not give us new wine knowing because we're still in old wineskin, it would blow us up. If ever, listen, if every, you know what would happen right now today if miracles broke out in America? You know what would happen on the news? This is fake. You know what I'm saying? These guys are crazy. This is, this is fake. These guys have lost it. So what the Lord is actually trying to do, he's trying to get us to a place where are we willing to sit in a room for 10 days not seeing anything except holding a word that he spoke that he would send what he said he would send so that we could become the wineskin ready to receive the new wine. Like, are, are we willing to be that people? We're, our church is named after Acts 2. Dream. You're young men. And I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this. Because this is what I actually was going to preach on today, and I'm going to preach on it, I think, maybe next week. But, on the day Pentecost was being fulfilled, Acts 2, all the disciples were gathered in one place. All the disciples, 120. I mean, I, I can't stress this enough. Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, ended his ministry and had 120. I, <laughs> unbelievable. Suddenly... They heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realm. The roar of the wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once, a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes. This is a ton of Exodus language right here. It separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each of them. If you read the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament... That word for tongues is the same exact word that's in Exodus 19 when it says God appeared in fire and thunder. That word thunder in the Greek is literally the same exact word that's in the Greek right here for tongues. So they're seeing what Moses saw when God made covenant the first time on the mountain. When God appeared in fire, he appeared in tongues or thunder, same word. He appeared, and then what did he do? He gave them the law. He gave them the Torah. The second time, he shows up in the same way, but this time he's not giving them a covenant based on law. This time he's giving them a covenant based on he's putting himself in them. Okay, I thought y'all would be excited about that. That's cool. It's separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never heard. Now, at that time, there were Jewish worshipers, okay? Jewish worshipers who had immigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. 
When the people of the city heard the roaring sound, crowds came rushing to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening because each one of them could hear the disciples speaking in his or her own language. Bewildered, they said to one another, aren't these all Galileans? So how is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages? And then it lists all the languages. I'm going to save y'all bad, um, bad uh, pronunciation. Uh, they were there. Both Jews and converts of Judaism were there, Cretans and Arabs. Yet, verse 11, we hear them speaking of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. They all stood there dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, what is this phenomenon? But others poked fun at them and said, they're just drunk on new wine. Yes, they are. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if you've ever caught that, but when they're making fun of these people, they're saying, oh, don't worry about them. They're just drunk on new wine. Yes. <laughs> you know? I just, I, it's so cool. I don't know if Luke did that. Luke wrote Acts. I don't know if Luke wrote that as like a little like jab or if that was actually said. Either way, I think it's awesome. Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. You need to clearly understand what's happening here. These people are not drunk like you think they are, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is the fulfillment of what was prophesied through the prophet Joel. I, I, I know it's 12. I'm going to try to wrap up. What kind of guts does it take for you to stand up and say, what y'all are seeing right now is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel? I mean, we, we read some of this stuff very casually sometimes. Do you understand? Peter is saying what you read about in Joel is what you're seeing in front of your eyes right now. That takes some guts. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times and had to be reinstated back into the fold. You know, that Peter is now fully empowered by the resurrected Jesus is now standing and saying, you remember what you read in Joel? This is it, boys and girls. For God said, this is what I will do in the last days. Just a reminder, okay? Peter considered that the last days. So we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Well, what? That's, I mean... The, the Greek word there is epoch, it's age. It's the last age, the last set of days, okay? Not like, well, brother, we're really in the last days. Yes, we've been there for 2,000 years. I will pour out my spirit on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to prophesy and your young men will see visions. Your old men will experience dreams from God. That's what we're named after. Now, here's what the Aramaic translates this as. It says, your grandparents shall see visions and your priest shall dream dreams. Visions is the Greek word that means to have your eyes open to divine encounters and to see into the spiritual realm. So Jesus is literally saying, in the last days I'll pour out my, my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see into the spirit realm. And your old men, or priests in the Aramaic, will dream dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come on all my servants, men and women alike, 
and they will prophesy. I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above and mighty miracles on the earth below. Okay, there it is. Blood and fire, pillars of clouds will appear. For the sun will be turned dark and the moon blood red before that great and awesome appearance of the day of the Lord. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He right here, Peter, makes the announcement because the Holy Spirit has just fallen on us and it's about to fall on you. Now we're going to see mighty signs and mighty miracles. Do you see this? So the Lord is unlocking widespread signs and wonders that would establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven to the group of people who were in an upper room for 10 days seeing nothing. Do you see this? They inherited another level of glory because of how they stewarded the first level of glory. How we steward 2020 and 2021 and however else long this pandemic lasts, how we steward that, I'm telling you, will determine what we see on the other side of it. How we steward this season will determine what we see on the other side of it. How we create division in this season will determine, you hear this? Or how we create unity in this season will determine. And you can fill in the blank. How we steward this will determine what we see there. I, I cannot, I'm, I haven't felt this prophetic in a long time. But I, I'm, this is burning in my guts that it, when I left that quarantine, if you ask me what's the main thing the Lord showed you, it would be that. That how I steward this season is going to determine not just what I see in the next season. I believe it might determine what I see the rest of my life. How quickly his kingdom comes and how quickly his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm telling you right now, will be determined by how we steward when we don't think we see his kingdom come and his will be done. Which, by the way, by the way, what you see is very rarely reality of what's actually going on. So, so, so you might not see right now, a lot of things moving in your life, but I promise you, a lot of things are moving in your life. You might not see stepping into the fulfillment of the calling of God that he placed on your life, but you're stepping into the fulfillment of the call of God he placed on your life. It just doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. Thank the Lord. If this looked like what I thought back in 2017 this would look like, we wouldn't be here in this measure of presence that we are today. I promise you, I would have ruined it. We would have ruined it. There's been so many times the Lord said, I can't let you see this right now just to make sure that you throw what you think is going to happen in the garbage. I think people, I know, I know people, Isaiah, go ahead and come up here. Just to make everybody think we're wrapping up. Um, I, I'm just kidding, we are. But we, we are, we're going to end with just a little time of, of prayer. We're going to start ending each service with that. And, um, and, we're going, and we're going to turn the prayer knob up. I said this in that group chat in our church. We, we've got to start praying. We've got to start asking but I, um, as I was 
kind of reading through this and thinking about that Samaritan woman, my mind went back to the story that I feel like I've talked about a lot lately, but of the prodigal son. There's two brothers. There's one brother who is always home, never leaves. There's another brother who leaves in rebellion. They both start at home. There's one brother who takes for granted proximity with the father. There's one brother who takes for granted that at any moment he can go lay on his father's chest. There's another brother who in running and wasting and laying in pig slop and starving and seeing himself as nothing more than a servant comes running home to see Papa leave the front porch and sprint towards him to return everything. The one who left in rebellion, I promise you never took for granted proximity. The one who stayed in apathy lived jealous of the other brother because he had grown casual with proximity. I think the father, listen, I know this is a parable. I think the father let the son run away knowing he would squander everything because he knew when the son came home, he wouldn't take for granted what the other son that never left home was taking for granted. He was willing to let the son run as long as it took to get him back to the place where he honored proximity. Some of you, some of you have become casual with proximity with the father. The spirit of the living God that got Jesus out of the grave three days after decaying is the spirit in you and I. And we pray like we're enslaved and we think like we're enslaved and we live like we're enslaved and we give like we're enslaved, like we're bracing for impact. Like we think that the worst is yet to come. Like we think that all things are working together for our harm. Listen. Fear, fear, you ready? Is faith in the wrong thing. Fear is faith in the wrong thing. If I'm afraid of what's coming up, that means I have faith that I will fail. So I've got to be convinced. You've got to be convinced. In this, Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. So as I've been as they're as they're going 
to be crucified upside down, as they're going to be pulled apart by horses, as Paul's going to be beheaded, you know what they're not doing? Moping. You know what they're doing? They're rejoicing that they get to do what he did. Why? Because they know this ends in, not escape, they know this ends in resurrection. I mean, are, 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 we, are we convinced of that? You know why people, you know why China is exploding right now? You know why Christianity, true Christianity is exploding in China? Where there is severe persecution. I believe it's because they have a correct theology. And I could be wrong and I don't want to speak out of ignorance. I believe they have a correct theology as to how this plays out. Take my life. That's all right. When Jesus comes again, I'm getting right back up. I mean, I don't, I don't think Peter and Paul and all those guys were like, you know what, take our lives, but that's okay. You know, we, we got defeated here, but at least we'll get away. No, no, no. They're, they're saying, we're going to go be with Jesus, but let me tell you how this ends up. You, you can chop my head off, you can pull me apart by horses. But when that trumpet sounds, I will get up. I, I was talking to somebody this week about resurrection and somebody who's a, a pastor, you would think I was speaking a different language. Resurrection? What are you talking? You know, you know, it's like, I know, brother. That's my the hope of our salvation is I get up. The hope of Jesus was that he got up, not that he ascended. His ascension's great. The, the hope of Jesus was that he got up and then unlocked the door for all of us to get up too. Um, but we we live. We live enslaved. We live fickle. Easily moved. Easily swayed. Easily discouraged. I'm speaking to me. Easily depressed. Easily anxious. We, we live like this because we don't believe this. We believe what we have seen, which is why when things are great, we're, on, we're full of faith. Yeah, I'll pray for everybody when life is good. Because we live by what we see. But if we could get to the place that we live by who we know, then whether we're in life, in death, no principalities, no strongholds, no power in heaven or on earth, or even under, no power could keep us from the love or separate us from the love of Christ our Savior. If we live like that, we'll start to see things like we've never seen before. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has comprehended what He has planned for those who what? Love Him. Not those who are casual, not those who are buddies, not those who every now and then follow him, but those who prefer the will of God no matter what it looks like right now. Those who say, I'm walking through this, I'm going through this, I'm facing this, I'm not hearing this, but I prefer you anyway. The woman at the well who hears, go get your husbands, and all of her junk is brought out to the surface, and she says, not running to the village saying, let's go crucify him. She runs to the village and says, y'all need to come see a man that set me free from pretending. If you drink from Jacob's well, you'll have to come back over. And over and over and over and over because you'll never be satisfied. 
But if you drink from me, you'll be forever satisfied. She's running to the village to tell her people, I've met a man that has fulfilled all my needs. How has he done it? Because he brought the pretender to the light and dealt with who I really was. This is, this is what's happening right now. This is what's happening right now. So here's what we're going to do. I just want to um, take a minute. Y'all bow your heads. Bow your heads. And I want everybody to focus. Everybody to focus. No distractions. We're going to take a few minutes. I know, it's, I know what time it is. I don't care. But we're going to take a few minutes. And, and I want you to be serious. This is for me. We need heart transplants. We need to stop being fickle with God. He's not looking for a group of people that can show up when things explode and fireworks go off. He's looking for a group of people he can entrust his heart to. Peter denies Jesus, and then Jesus shows up to Peter and he says, not Peter, how could you? He says, Peter, do you love me? He's looking for somebody to entrust himself to. So we're going to take a few minutes. If you want to come up to the altar, I would encourage you to do that. If you want to pray at your seat, do that. We're just going to take a minute, spend time with the Lord, have a heart exchange if needed, if needed, which it is for me. Have a heart exchange and then, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. So we're just going to take a few minutes. Isaiah, keep playing. And, uh, and we're just going to pray. If you need to come up, come up. Do whatever you need to do.